Let's tackle the text. If you want to open a Bible, you can. The, the one verse I'm going to be reading is out of John chapter 3. But part of the tension of this series is that we're approaching issues that we realize if we merely solve them with the Bible, we haven't done the question justice. Right? Because you might be here and saying, well, I don't, I don't believe in the Bible. Who was Jesus outside of the Bible? So actually, most of the arguments that we're making today especially are coming in from sources outside of the scriptures. But uh, if you want to read something and take it home with you, John chapter 3, Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus is a first century example of some of the stories I'm going to be telling today that have happened for the last 2,000 years. But I'm going to start with this. Uh, every year, Time Magazine does uh, an, a special edition of their, of their, uh, of their magazine uh, talking about who are the most influential people of that year. And so there's all these different categories. And for example, this year, we'll put on the screen, these are some of the most influential people of 2023. We've got Michael B. Jordan, most influential artist in the world, according to Time Magazine. Bob Iger, CEO of Disney Corporation. Jennifer Coolidge wins in the icon category this year. Like These are the most influential people in the world, according to this magazine, at this time. And I'm thinking, man, there are, what, 6.9 billion people in the world? I wonder if like Michael B. Jordan is thinking... Man, most influential artist out of 6.9 billion people. That's, that is high praise. A few years ago, Time Magazine kind of went off the, their normal script and they built a top 100 list of the most influential human beings in the history of the planet. And let me just let you make a guess. Who do you think was the person who ranked number one most influential human being who ever walked the dirt of this earth? Yes, how many of you are surprised the answer is Jesus Christ? Right, it's, it's, that is not my big reveal today, right? That, that is the, okay, we knew that would happen. The, the question I wanna wrestle with is, how does someone like Jesus make it so he's the no-brainer, number one on the top 100 list of most influential people who've ever walked the dust of the ground? On one hand, right, Jesus was the founder of the largest major world religion. Right? We'll talk about this next week. 35% of the earth today worships Jesus as God. And yet, right, even though if there was a vote, Jesus would probably win. Time Magazine didn't build this on a vote. What I find fascinating about Jesus is that Jesus is well-regarded, well-liked, and respected almost exclusively with every person I've ever met, even folks outside of his own religion. I think of someone like Gandhi, someone like Mother Teresa, these people who are revered by people of all faith backgrounds alike. Jesus fits in that category, but what's different about Jesus is that he fits in that category even though he made some wild and bold and exclusive claims. Right? Can you imagine if Mother Teresa claimed to be God in the flesh? Would she make the top 100 list? Right, if Gandhi said, right, the religion that I'm establishing is the only religious way everyone else is going to hell, would Gandhi still be on that list? Right? Jesus was known at his time and even today as a miracle worker. Jesus made claims about his own divinity, being God in human flesh. Jesus was exclusive in his religion. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, and yet... Almost exclusively, people around the world, even in other religions, are like, oh, but I like that guy. I remember in the 90s, there was a t-shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. And I met people, I meet people all the time. They're like, ah, I don't know if 
I don't know if I believe everything about Jesus, but I love his teaching. I don't know if I believe everything about Jesus, but he was a good guy, right? I modeled my life after him. I think sometimes you Christians take him a little too seriously, but Jesus is, a, is amazing. He's well-liked, even though he made some bold claims. And so the question that we're going to wrestle with today as we approach this subject is, is what I've already mentioned at the beginning, is, is can I believe in Jesus without all the God stuff, right? Am I allowed to think he was a great moral teacher, but not worship him as God? Right? Am I allowed to be here as part of this church if, if I don't think that he performed miracles? I think that's kind of outside of the box of what humans can do. I, I don't think a person could be God. I don't think he rose from the dead, but I think he was an all-around good guy. Is that okay? Can I have Jesus without all of the God stuff? And I think many of us in this room would be like, well, no, right? That's why I'm a Christian. I want all of Jesus. And yet let's, let's admit that there are many parts of our lives where we're unsure in, in the faith. And there are many folks among us who are still kind of wrestling with who exactly was this person called Jesus of Nazareth? You know, sometimes I think we forget that, that there are parts of us that are skeptical and there are parts of us that are skeptical. I met with a, a woman a few weeks ago who said, Dana, I'm new to the church. I love the church. The music is great. I love the community. I'm plugging in. My kids love the program. And she's like, I even love your teaching, which I'm like, okay, uh, thank you. And she said, even though I don't agree with most of it, I'm like, all right, that's cool, right? And I think for me, it's like, that's like a sobering, refreshing take, right? Because I always assume that I'm just up here waxing eloquent and you're all just nodding along like, yeah, right? The Niners aren't playing until afternoon today. We've got plenty of time, Danny. Keep on talking. I agree, right? But let's be honest, right? There are some of the, the claims that Jesus made. There's some of the concepts we talk about from the scriptures that are hard to believe. And so the question I really want to wrestle with today is, is who was Jesus really? And we've got some tools for you in the midst of this study. You might have grabbed an outline on the way in. If not, grab one on the way out or open the Three Crosses app and you can look at it. I don't have a ton of blanks for you to fill out today, but what I do have is a couple of lists of what we learn about the historical Jesus from some different accounts we'll talk about today. That could be a good resource for you. At the bottom of the outline, there's a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Norm Geisler and Frank Turek that really address what we're going to address today in deeper detail. So if this topic fascinates you at any level, or if you zone out and forget to listen for a while, go read that book, right? But I'm telling you, it's more efficient to just listen for the next 30 minutes or so than to read a whole book. But that's for you as we walk through this, right? Who was Jesus, really? If you go to the Smithsonian Institute in D.C., you'll find an exhibit that's fascinating. We'll put a picture of this on the screen. This is what's known as the Jefferson Bible, Right, Thomas Jefferson's Bible. And you'll notice that there are some things that are missing. Uh, Thomas Jefferson w was someone who really revered the person of Jesus of Nazareth as a moral teacher and uh, as someone who was just wise. And Jefferson was someone who was looking for wisdom from all over the world. And, and yet, Thomas Jefferson just felt like some of the, the claims of Jesus were were wacky, whether they're miraculous and he didn't believe in miracles or they were exclusive or whatever it was. And so Thomas Jefferson really made a project for himself of cutting out the sections of the Bible that he felt like were true. And he composed a Bible of his own called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth, right? And so this is, I think this is the 
Bible that he used to create his own Bible. And as Jefferson talked to John Adams, who's another one of the founding fathers, about this project, he told John Adams that this project was as simple as digging diamonds out of dunghill. Because he said, amongst all the crazy stuff you read in the New Testament about miracles and God claims, there are some brilliant, shining, moral jewels from this person called Jesus of Nazareth. Right? And we look at that and we think, well, I don't know if you're allowed to do that. But we do it all the time. Right? Fast forward 100 years or so, uh, 1985, a group of people on the West Coast of America called themselves the Jesus Seminar. And this is a community of some philosophers, some liberal theologians, even a Hollywood scriptwriter. And they came together and they said, we want to figure out, like Thomas Jefferson did, who really was the historical Jesus, right? But they didn't want to pick and choose based on their own likes and dislikes. They wanted to take a more objective view at discovering who Jesus was. And so the main premise they started with was that there are no such things as miracles. And so they threw away anything miraculous in the New Testament. And then they said, okay, let's look at what's left and let's argue and debate and research and figure out which one of these sayings were truly exclusive to Jesus. So anything that they felt like Jesus definitely said this, they put it in red letters. Anything they were like, he might have said this, they put it in pink letters. Anything they were like, he probably didn't say this, but it sounds like the kind of thing Jesus might say, right? Blue letters and anything like this didn't happen, black letters. And, and so they created their own, their own account of the historical Jesus as they saw fit, uh, discarding 82% of the gospels and said, okay, this 18% that's left, this is historically true, this is Jesus. Right? And, and we hear these stories. And we think, I don't know if you're allowed to do that. We think, I don't know if I believe these people should be doing this. But, but, but I, I don't want to give these people too much dignity because I think it is a little bit unfair to just create who Jesus was in your own study. But, but I think that the question we'll put on the screen that, that they are wrestling with is one we wrestle with as well, is that people sometimes say, we know that Jesus is blank, but we don't know if he was blank. Right? And that's not a blank for you to fill out unless you're wrestling with this in your own life, right? We know he's something, but we don't know if he's something else, right? We know that Jesus was a good teacher, but we don't know if he really did miracles, right? We know that Jesus was a good man, but we don't really know if he was God in the flesh, right? We know that Jesus existed, but we're not really sure if he was really all that people have cracked him up to be. We know Jesus was something. But we're not sure if he was something else, right? Because there are things about Jesus that are hard to believe. Now, the reason I had you open up to John chapter 3 is this is the encounter that Jesus had in his day with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of the, the ruling leaders in Jesus' day, and yet he came to Jesus in the shadows of darkness because the people that surrounded Nicodemus were unsure about who Jesus of Nazareth really was. And he was trying to do a little bit of a, a reconnaissance. And, and he says this, he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, right? For no one could perform the signs you were doing unless God was with him, right? And so Nicodemus is saying that same thing. We know that somehow God has sent you. We're not sure if you're the Messiah or not. Like, we know there's something about you, but we're not sure about something else, right? And, and I would guess that many of us can fill in that first blank with one thing and the second blank with another, right? I, I know that Jesus is this, but sometimes I wonder, was he really that? And so one of the things I put on your outline that we'll walk through today is just kind of a, a starting point. Okay, what do we know about this person called Jesus of Nazareth? 
And I do want to point out, right, if you are someone who is skeptical about the claims of Christianity, one thing that we know for sure is that Jesus was a real person. That is not a, a disputed claim. Historians know that Jesus was real. The gospel accounts talk about Jesus being, being real. Even in Jesus' day, we have all of these writings from his followers about his life, but we also have right, 10 or more uh, sources from people who are not believing people or even antagonistic to Christians from Jesus' day who wrote about this person called Jesus and what they didn't like about him, or not like about him, but what they didn't like about this religion that was emerging called Christianity, right? So everyone agrees that he existed. So beyond that, here are the 12 things. If you didn't grab a notebook, I'll, I'll read it for you, that, that we know for sure, whether you were a skeptic in Jesus' day or a believer in Jesus' day, this is a starting point that people had were, were these 12 things. Number one, everyone agrees that Jesus lived during the time of Tiberius Caesar. And there's, a, there's a time frame that we can timestamp Jesus in. This is where the historical Jesus lived. A everyone agrees that Jesus lived a virtuous life. Right? Still today, I don't know anyone who's like, Jesus was evil. Like, no one believes that. He lived a virtuous life. Number three, this one's a little harder to swallow. Uh, everyone believes that Jesus was a wonder worker. That's one that you read the accounts from anti-Christian sources and they all claim that he was someone who did miracles. For some reason, uh, they were able to believe that he did miracles, but he was not all that they cracked him up to be. He was a wonder worker. Everyone agrees he had a brother named James. So hey, there, there's that. Good for you, James. You're on the Time Magazine top 100 list of the first century. Number five, he was acclaimed to be the Messiah, right? And this is where you get some of these uh, not everyone believed he was the Messiah, but, but they believed that he was acclaimed to be the Messiah, that there were a lot of people in Jesus' day who were saying, this guy is the, is the Christ, he's the Messiah. Uh, everyone believed he was crucified over, under Pontius Pilate, so the crucifixion happened, and this was the religious leader under whom it happened. Everyone believes that he was crucified on the eve of the Jewish Passover, right? So even more specifically, this is when it happened. His death happened on this date. This one's kind of bonkers, uh, People outside of Christianity noticed that on the day that Jesus died, there was a supernatural, they might not say supernatural, but there was a, a remarkable darkness that kind of overtook the world and an earthquake that happened at the moment of Jesus' death. That was written by a, a non-believing source. Uh, his disciples believed, right? Not everyone believed this, but everyone believed that his disciples believed that he rose from the dead. And so everyone believed that the people were making that claim. Everyone noticed that these disciples who believed Jesus rose from the dead were willing to die for that belief. People noticed that Christianity spread rapidly as far as Rome. And in the generations that would follow, everyone noticed that the disciples of Jesus Christ, this growing faith community that eventually became a world religion, denied the Roman gods and worshiped Jesus as God. And so not, not everyone believed that Jesus was God, not everyone believed that he himself rose from the dead, but everyone did believe that he was crucified and people started making these claims that he had risen and that he was God incarnate. He was God in the flesh. Right? That's, that's kind of a good starting point. And what I love about that starting point list is, is I feel like, and if you do the research on your own, whether it's through Christian sources or non-Christian sources about kind of who was Jesus, this is a list that we can all agree on. But if you're a Christian person, there's nothing that I said there that you're like, well, I don't know, right? That, that maps onto the Christian faith. But if you're not a Christian person, right, there's nothing that's that controversial, right? Maybe you don't believe he rose from the dead, but it's like, yeah, I know Christians believe he rose from the dead, right? It's a good starting point. And the other thing that I noticed that, about this list that's fascinating to me is that this list, these 12 components about Jesus, they map onto the eyewitness accounts we have in the Bible perfectly, 
Uh, part of me was, uh, would think that if what we have in the scriptures are not reliable, we would see a marked difference between what the world said about Jesus and what the followers of Christ said about Jesus. But we don't see like the Bible says this and the world said that. What we see is more the world says this and the disciples like say this. They flesh it out, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this is a little more detail about why we believe he rose from the dead. Here's who he appeared to after he rose from the dead. Here's when he said he was God. Here's when we were worshiping him. Here are the specific miracles he did. Here is how we experience the supernatural darkness and the earthquake. The, the Bible maps onto these lists perfectly and, and gives out some details from the Christians that, that talk about kind of a little more depth of why they believe these things that Christians believe. And a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor AJ talked about the reliability of the Bible. And if that's a topic that interests you, you should definitely go back and listen to that talk. We also have on our podcast a, a panel conversation about that in our Explore God Wednesday night panel. Uh, we'd love for you to listen to that. We're not going to go into a ton of the reliability of the scriptures. Uh, but one thing you'll see if you do grab the book that's on the bottom of this outline and you read it about the Bible accounts versus the extra biblical accounts, like the non-believing people accounts, is, is that one of the things that's fascinating fascinating about the Bible is that there are so many details in the scriptures about the life and times of Jesus that prove it had to be written by people who were there with Jesus. Right in Turek and Geisler's book, they talk about like 90 or 100 sayings in the book of Luke alone that prove that Luke had to be a person who lived in the first century near Jesus, right? And that's what Luke claimed to do, do an orderly account. Right? Luke named cities and places and geographical elements and trade routes and all these things that, that couldn't have been written 100 or 200 or 300 years later because these details were lost to history until archaeologists found them again later. And yet Luke was writing about these things as if he knew them because he was there. Right? And so we've got these 12 points of what everyone believes about Jesus. We've got these eyewitness accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, written by people who were with Jesus that flesh out some more details. And so it's fun that if you want to learn more about Jesus, you can look into the scriptures and find out more. But here's a warning. When you look into the scriptures to find out more, you're going to start seeing some things that are going to be hard to believe, right? You're going to start reading these accounts of Jesus walking on water and, and healing people, giving sight to blind people and the ability to walk to people who are unable to walk. You're going to watch Jesus raising people from the dead. You're going to watch Jesus raising himself from the dead. You're going to see Jesus making some bold claims, right? In, in the book of John, he answers the religious authorities and he says, before Abraham was born... I am, invoking the, the name of God from the book of Genesis. I am the great I am, right? And they wanted to kill him for that. This is part of the reason they crucified him, was he was claiming to be God. You see Jesus saying, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see these God claims, these exclusive claims, these things that should, are going to be hard to believe. And of course, all, the, all of the eyewitness accounts end with the miracle of Jesus raising from the dead and, uh, and them saying, this is what we saw. and We, we touched with our own hands and, and witnessed. We were there when it happened. And you're, you might read it and think these people are giving an eyewitness account to something that I don't believe 
could have happened. And that's a tension that you're going to have to wrestle with. I was looking online uh, the other day at and the different historical accounts of what people believed about Jesus. And, and one of the websites I stumbled upon was a, a discussion where people were asking questions to a historian about the person of Jesus. So I don't know if this guy or, or gal was a, a Christian or not a Christian, but was coming into this chat room, in a sense, as a historian. And one of the people asked uh, this historian, was Jesus famous during the time that he walked the earth? Like, what do we know about that? And he said, well, you know, we we know that most likely, yes, in, in a sense. Jesus was someone who many believed was the Messiah of the Jews. We see that from history. And so most likely he would have been famous at his time. Everyone in Galilee probably would have known who Jesus was. That's the northern region of Israel where Jesus was from, Nazareth. Even in Jerusalem, since that's where he was crucified and there's a lot of religious drama there, most likely he would have been famous in Jerusalem. Most likely at the time of Jesus' life, no one would have heard his name outside of Israel. It was a very localized fame. But most likely, yeah, especially coming up to his crucifixion, his name would have become more and more and more famous throughout the entire country. He would have been a famous person in his day. And then the historian said this, he said, but then he was crucified. And, and all of these claims about messiahship were proven untrue because if he was the messiah, he would have done all these different things. And so when he was put to death, most likely he would have been forgotten about pretty quickly. Uh, and his name would have been quickly no longer something people talked about, no one would remember him. And then they, he, the historian throws this throwaway line and says, you know, I don't really know why he got famous after that. Right? which makes a lot of logical sense, right? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he would have been famous, he would have died, that would have been that, right? But why did he get famous if he didn't rise from the dead? And there's a bunch of arguments, right, that you may have heard that the disciples invented the story and where the disciples, like, stole the body and hid the body. And, and if you read this, if you're interested in that, you can read the book. There's all, the whole chapter on those types of questions. And none of those really hold water at all. And so we're left with this, this weird tension as we approach the scriptures and approach history around the person of Jesus. And the tension is this. On one hand, a miracle-working God incarnate resurrected Jesus makes no logical sense. Right? We have no category for a miracle-working God incarnate resurrected Jesus Christ. It makes no logical sense. But on the other hand, a miracle-working, God-incarnate, resurrected Jesus is the only way the story makes sense. Like, if he wasn't who he said he was, if he didn't do the things that he did, like, logically, or even looking through a historian's point of view, or even looking through the lens of these disciples who went from timid people to being crucified themselves for their faith and never recanting, even though it gained them nothing and cost them everything, it makes no logical sense if it if it didn't happen, but it's too hard to swallow that it possibly did happen. And so if you, if you do the research, I'm just telling you, you're going to find yourself in this chasm that this can't be true, but it has to be true, right? There's, there's no way to reconcile these two things. You're left with this chasm that, that requires faith to cross. And don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying it, it requires only faith to cross in the sense that you gotta like not use your head to be a Christian, right? That's why I put on the outline, we're not gonna walk through it, but there's a bunch of 
proofs that this is why we believe the resurrection happened from history and logic and archaeology, all these things. Right? There, there's a way to do a rational research into that. But even if you do all the research, even if you spend the next year studying things and researching things and reading historical documents like many people have done, you're going to find yourself at the end of that quest with the same question. This absolutely did happen, but I don't believe it could have happened. And you're going to find yourself with a chasm that requires faith to cross. It's interesting when Jesus talks with that man Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that's where they end the argument too. Nicodemus comes and says, Jesus, we believe you're a prophet from God. No one could do these miracles unless God was with them. We're not sure this, but we know this. We can see this. And Jesus responds to Nicodemus and he says this, which is fascinating. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Right? He doesn't argue with Nicodemus. He doesn't show from the scriptures at this point why he was who he said he was. He doesn't have an apologetics argument about the rational reasons you can believe I'm the Messiah. He just said, Nicodemus, I know you think you know who I am, but I just need to be honest. You, you can't really understand these truths unless faith comes into your life and the spirit opens your eyes to see these things. Nicodemus, even face to face with Jesus, after seeing the miracles himself, found himself with a chasm that requires faith to cross. Which if you came into this study excited for me to give you the proof that Jesus was who he said he was, I'm sorry. Because uh, <laughs> I know that's not a very satisfying answer. Here's a chasm that requires faith to cross. Um, but, but I do want to point out that even in Jesus' day, that, that was the tension, right? What are you going to decide about who Jesus was and what he claimed to be? There's a famous story of Jesus and, and the disciples near the end of Jesus' ministry where, where he asked them, hey, what do people say about me? And I said, well, some people say that you're one of the prophets or you're this person reincarnated or whatever, or this person or this person. And, then, and he dials it in and he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're correct, right? On this rock, I will build my church, right? This idea that this, this powerful statement, even Peter as a, as a disciple, an apostle, a leader in the church, this declaration of what he has chosen to believe about the identity of Jesus was a statement that Jesus would, that Peter would build his life upon and that Jesus would build his church upon. As Peter comes to terms with his own answer to that question, who do you say that I am? I could tell you who the scriptures say that Jesus is, and I did. I could tell you who I believe that Jesus is, but I think you already know. The question I want to leave you with is, is who do you say that he is? And I want to challenge you that if you've never thought seriously about this question, this is a very important question to think seriously about. You might have noticed I didn't have you fill in any blanks on your outline today. I'll give you three, and then we'll close. Uh, and, and as you move into what's next in your life, my challenge for you is to, if you're wrestling with this at all, and I challenge you to wrestle with this a lot, if you're wrestling with this at all, do these three things. Number one, you can write this down, read the eyewitness accounts. If you've never read Luke, read Luke. If you've never read John, read John. If you've never read Mark, read Mark. If you've never read Matthew, read, read Matthew. Read the eyewitness accounts. If you're not sure if you can trust them, read the book at the bottom of the outline, then read the eyewitness accounts. Read the eyewitness accounts. Because whether or not you, you will choose they're true or that Jesus really was who the disciples said that he was, 
I do want you to know that these were people who were with Jesus writing down what they believed about him. And like I said, they got nothing out of it, but they lost everything for these beliefs. Read the eyewitness accounts. The second challenge for you is to seek the truth with all your heart. And I say that for two reasons. Number one, because from the Bible, what we see about these truths are, are that they're they require faith to believe that somehow God opens our eyes as we go on this quest to find him, as he's also on a quest to find us. The Bible also says, God says in the Old Testament, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek with all your heart. And I, I think that a lot of people in our world, and even maybe a lot of people in this room, right, either we just, we just take this at face value because someone told us to us, or we've constructed, right, our own Jefferson Bible, our old Jesus seminar, our own, like, view of who Jesus is, just out of the air. We just decided, here's who I think he is, without seeking the truth with our whole hearts. And the last point I want to give you is what I want to leave you with is the reason I want you to seek with your whole heart is because this is one that you can't get wrong, right? Don't get this one wrong. In the 17th century, there was a philosopher named Blaise Pascal, and he was wrestling with some of these, these very things. And he you know, said, so, you know, you can't prove the existence of God. You can't prove a lot of these things are like faith discerned and you can never be 100% sure. And so then he came up with like the way that he crossed the faith chasm was something that's now known in philosophy as Pascal's wager. And this was Pascal's wager. He says, okay, if, if there is a God and you decide to follow him, and you decide to give your life to him, and you decide to seek him with all your heart, at the end of your life, if there is a God, you'll be well rewarded for that quest. And at the end of your life, if you're wrong, you're just dead, right? <laughs> you didn't lose anything, right? Besides, you, you lost your life in a sense, right? You spent your life seeking after this God. Pascal says, okay, now let's look at the other side, right? If, if there is no God, and you, and you decide to ignore him and you don't care about him and then you get to the end of life and you're right and there was no God, eh, you're just dead. But if you get to the end of your life and you're wrong and there was a God and you got this one wrong, you're going to wish you devoted your entire life to seeking after this truth that you got wrong. Right? So Pascal says just based on logic, it makes more sense to lean into God than to ignore God because the cost of getting this one wrong is much more despairing than the cost if you go the other direction and, oh, I'm wrong and now I just lose consciousness and fall asleep and I'm dead forever. Right? Pascal says, one logical reason to go on a quest for Jesus is because this is one that if you're wrong and you don't believe in God, it will cost you everything. But if you're right and there is a God, it'll gain you everything. That's Pascal's wager. And Jesus was the most influential person who ever walked the earth, right? Who do you say that he is? Right? Can you believe in him without all the God stuff? Sure, right? Thomas Jefferson did, right? Sure, right? The Jesus Seminar did. Sure, you can make your own Bible full of pithy sayings and you can decide for yourself who Jesus is. But I wouldn't recommend it. Because logic tells us and history tells us, and Jesus himself tells us, that Jesus was not merely a moral teacher. He was not merely a good person. He was nothing less than the miracle-working, God-incarnate, resurrected Son of God. Like C.S. Lewis said, he's either a liar or he's a lunatic, 
or he's the Lord. Like that's one of the choices. You've got to choose one. We believe Jesus was Lord. And that is why at this church we devote our time to worshiping him because we believe he is the Lord of heaven and earth. So I want to close in prayer and then I want to invite our worship team to come up and we're going to sing together. So let's pray. Jesus, we believe that you are who you say that you are. As we approach the eyewitness accounts in the scriptures and we see what the apostles said about you, we realize that what we're doing as a church is we're not merely trusting you at your word, but we're stepping into the apostolic faith. We are trusting this, this story that our faith family has handed down from generations and generations, and we're reading the primary source documents that all of that is based on. And we lean into that today, Jesus. For those of us who believe in you, we say thank you. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for stepping out of heaven, in a sense, putting on flesh, dwelling amongst us, not to judge us, but to rescue us, to die for us, to rise from the grave, to give life to all who believe. And yet we ask that you would forgive us for our unbelief. We think of the beautiful story in the New Testament where the man comes to you and you say, all things are possible for the one who believes. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. I pray for anyone in this room who in this season or today or in their life, they're in a season where they're saying, Jesus, I, I believe. I just, sometimes I don't believe that you would help our unbelief, that you would meet us in our quest for you. And that as we seek you, we would take you at your promise that we will find you and we seek you with all our hearts. I pray for anyone in this room or watching online who even after hearing the, these words from the scriptures today or these, even these logical arguments from historians today, they're saying, okay, I, I think I'm ready to step into relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ, that you've given the faith in this, in this moment to help them cross that chasm of unbelief. That they would simply come to you and say, Jesus, I, I want to know you. I trust you died and it was for my sins. I trust you rose again and it's for new life. I need that new life. I pray that you would give me the life that only you can give. Forgive my sins. That like Nicodemus in that moment, the spirit would come upon me and, and I would be given eyes to believe. I pray that you would take me on that journey too. If you prayed that prayer today, my, my commendation for you is that God will meet you in this moment and start you on a quest to seeing who he is more and more. And yet for all of us, Lord, we pray that as we live in this world, we know that we see you through a, a glass dimly, and we long for the moment where we will see you face to face and our faith will become sight. And yet we pray that as we lean into the faith that's been handed down and delivered to all the saints, that you would grow us in our faith. And let us be like those heroes we read in the scriptures who, who walked with you and trusted you even when we couldn't see it. And let us grow as we lean into you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.